had a couple of choices for a message title this week. I had Love the Sinner wasn't my first choice. That's the tough one, isn't it? But I had um, True Colours. Um, I could have had Don't Worry, We Still Love You. That's another option. But anyway, we went with Love the Sinner. Last week, we opened Jude's scathing letter, didn't we? It was a scathing letter to and for and about false teaching, false teachers. They were perverting, corrupting home churches, likely in Ephesus. We saw how this kind of teaching, the, the kind that justifies sin by twisting God's word, how it was destroying those communities, and how it was nothing new, that Satan started this way. Did God really say that? And we saw how the way that we see these arguments today, we discover not only all kinds of immorality, but divided, failing churches too. Well, today we wrap up Jude's message the way it started, with assurance and hope. And today's message is a bit lighter, a don't worry, I still love you kind of message, but not for these false teachers. The blackest of darkness is still reserved for them, according to Jude, but for the rest of us, those willing to turn from their evil ways to look to Christ, well, God's love, mercy, the Lord Jesus Christ himself will bring you to eternal life, to quote Jude. And the best bit is it's not legalism. Jude's not about trying harder to do good, trying harder to be acceptable to God. No, there's a, a change of self, a change of nature. There's a helping hand offered, a sacrifice made, not by us, not by what we do, but by Christ, what Christ has done. Well, Jude wraps up the letter, teaches us three things. How to recognise these false teachers, how to continue in the faith, and how to help others, most importantly. Well, let's pray, and then we'll run through this little bit of text. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for your great love. When we open your word, God speaks. We pray that you speak to us today. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to jump straight into verse 14, where Jude quotes Enoch, of all people, one of the early descendants of Adam and Eve, found in the book of Genesis. Now, make no mistake, this is a serious indictment, one that to make clear exactly what's going to happen to these false teachers. And it's actually a wrap-up of everything we said last week. So we'll just do it quickly before we get into our three main points. Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied about them. See, the Lord is coming with thousands upon thousands of his holy ones to judge everyone and to convict all of them of all the ungodly acts they have committed in their ungodliness and all the defiant words ungodly sinners have spoken against him. Enoch, unlike the other descendants of Adam, that's mentioned in Genesis 5, that's the bit of the Bible where we always stop reading. Often new Christians open the book at the start and they get to Genesis 5 and then there's all these names. I'm just going, oh, stuff that. Couldn't be bothered. Because genealogy is not so important in our culture, but for them it was incredibly important. Enoch's the only one mentioned of these descendants of Adam where it says... He walked faithfully with God, which is great. He's a good example, isn't he? Clearly. But there's a problem with what Jude has just done, a problem for us, not for him. Simple fact is this quote is not found in the scriptures. It's not there. So Jude's likely quoting something else outside of the scriptures to back up his argument. The source he's quoting is probably the material that later became the book of Enoch, which is a non-biblical text 
something put together much later in the Christian, by the early Christians or Jewish communities at that time. And this book is rejected by the church. But the point is, it doesn't matter really. We don't need Enoch or Jude to tell us that Jesus is coming back. We've got plenty of that in the scriptures, haven't we? We don't need Enoch or Jude to tell us that Jesus will judge the ungodly and that they will pay a serious price for their ungodliness. We see this right through the Bible in the words of Jesus and the apostles. So we're not going to get off track with Enoch. Jude simply is finishing up telling us what will happen to them. And what we want to know is how to recognise these false teachers. It's easy. It's everyone but me. Yeah, that was meant to be funny. Verse 16. These people are grumblers and fault finders. They follow their own evil desires. They boast about themselves and flatter others for their own advantage. Four things we can see there. They're grumblers and fault finders. They're quick to complain, to point out what everyone else is doing wrong. But you can be sure that, and please excuse the slang, that they think their poop don't stink. They follow their own evil desires. In verse 8, Jude said that they use the strength of their own dreams to reject authority and that they pollute their own bodies. He said back in verse 10 that their actions are based on instinct, like irrational animals. The third thing they do is they boast about themselves. The word used here means they puff themselves up. They're swollen, big-headed. And it should be obvious who they are. In our Anglican context, I suspect it's the virtue-signalling activists. You know, I had to drop something in there. Come on. Those who seek titles of authority for authority's sake and not for just simply doing the work of Christ. And lastly, they flatter for their own advantage. And again, please excuse the slang. Jude's saying, look out for the suck-ups. Look out for the suck-ups. We've all seen them in the workplace, haven't we? Look out for them. In all of this, we must not misunderstand Jude. He's not suggesting for a moment that we become suspicious of everybody who may act in some of these ways. And we go on some kind of witch hunt. Or else we risk pulling out the wheat with the weeds, to quote Jesus. What Jude is saying is that we look out for people who make a pattern of these kinds of behaviours. People who tick three out of four every second day of the week. And on that note, I'm willing to bet that probably everyone in this room has got someone in their life that's come to mind when we think about all of these things. Someone who's acted this way. Maybe it's a, a friend, an old friend. Maybe a boss in the workplace. Maybe a spouse. Don't elbow the person next to you. Someone who's acted like that. Perhaps a friend, a leader, teacher. Hopefully not your pastor. But it happens. Verse 17. Dear friends... He says, remember what the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ foretold. They said to you, in the last times, there will be scoffers who will follow their own ungodly desires. There's nothing new under the sun. Jude's readers, they live in the last times, the last days. And we live in the last days too. The last days is simply the time between Jesus' ascension and his return to the earth. And during this time, as confirmed by all of the apostles and Jesus as well, there will be scoffers. There will be people who pervert God's word for their own advantage. People who follow ungodly desires. And it's these people, in verse 19, they're the ones who divide. They follow mere natural instincts. 
and do not have the Spirit. So serious is the promotion and normalization of sexual immorality and the division it causes that Jude is saying that these people don't have the Spirit. He's saying that Christians who promote and divide the church in order to fulfill and justify their own ungodly desires, all the things we talked about last week, he's saying they're not Christians at all. Now, that's awfully judgmental, isn't it? It sounds very legalistic. But there is a but coming. See, it's one thing to engage in these acts. It's one thing to have them in our past or perhaps even to stumble again in our future. Well, it's a completely different thing to, is to claim that one is without sin, that these things are not sinful and they're not contrary to the teachings of Jesus and the apostles when they clearly are. Can we see the distinction? I hope we can because this is what it means to love the person and hate the sin, which we're coming to in a minute. Now, ready for the but, the way forward, how to continue in the faith. But you, dear friends, says Jude, by building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in God's love as you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you to eternal life. It's starting to sound a bit legalistic, isn't it? There's a bit of this kind of keep yourselves. It kind of sounds like we do the work, doesn't it? It's all up to us. But to say such a thing would be a contradiction to the rest of the scriptures, which means Jude can't be saying that. Instead, what he's saying is that we must occupy our thing, ourselves with the things of the faith. For example, we must be reading the word of God, praying as the spirit guides, in tongues if you are able, although... Theologians say that's not what this is about at all. I just thought I'd throw that in there because often that comes up. It's not what it's about, but you know what I mean. It's, it's like what Jesus says in John chapter 15, verses 9 and 10. He says this, As the Father has loved me, so I love you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. Which means... Jesus is the one who acts first and last in the equation of faith. But it also means that we're not passive participants either. We're not backseat drivers. Jesus comes alongside us. We're active members of our faith. Active. And that's why our third thing that Jude's trying to teach us is how to be active, how to help others. Verse 22, be merciful, he says, to those who doubt. Save others by snatching them from the fire. To others, show mercy mixed with fear, hating even the clothing stained by corrupted flesh. When it comes to those who teach corruption, have nothing to do with them. Blackest darkness, Jude says, is for them. But to those who doubt, to those who make mistakes, to those who stumble, have everything to do with them. For a start, don't speak bad about them. Don't criticise them. Come alongside them. Speak the word of God to them. It has the power to save, and that's the point. But then Jude's saying we've got to be careful too. If their sin is a temptation for us, then we must come alongside them with a level of fear and trembling. Perhaps our help is better from a distance. Perhaps our help is better just as a matter of prayer. 
Perhaps we can bring other stronger brothers and sisters alongside to support them. And lastly, he said, hate even the clothing stained by corrupted flesh. That is, hate the sin, not the sinner. And this, my friends, is the point. This is the interpretive key for the entire book of Jude. Everything we have said, what we talked about last week, this is the key. Hate the sin, but love the sinner. And if we can get this one thing, then Jude has done his job. One way we can do this is to avoid saying things like, you're selfish. You're a horrible person. You're mean. You're a bad boy or girl. You're this or that. For this is not showing mercy. This is not showing grace. This is not showing love, but condemnation. For these words are hard to shake. These words form identity. And our identity is, our nature is not one of sin, but a loved child of God. What we must strive to do is to name sin. Hate the sin but not the sinner. You did a bad thing. You're acting selfish. Those words were me. You're being horrible to me. The difference is chalk and cheese, and I hope we can see it. One's hands off. One's, it's not my problem. It's all you. This is how you are. This is how you're made. Well, the other's just as confrontational. The other doesn't make us a doormat to their sin. It names the problem. A problem that we often share ourselves. A problem that we can solve together. Let's read the last bit of Jude's letter, verse 24. To him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and, without, and with great joy. To the only God, our Saviour, be glory, majesty, power and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord. Before all ages, now and forevermore. Amen. Well, it does seem like Jude finally got to speak to us about the salvation that we share, and it's beautiful, isn't it? It's beautiful there is a great day of joy ahead of us. It's beautiful that we will be faultless in our future home. It's beautiful that we get to live in the presence, an eternity in the presence of perfect love. Let's wrap this up. How do we recognise the false teachers? Well, they're the grumblers, the fault finders. They follow their own evil desires. They boast about themselves and they flatter others for their own advantage. How do we continue in the faith? We read God's word. When we read God's word, God speaks. And we pray continuously. How do we help others? Well, we hate their sin. But we love the sinner. After all, they are victims. The sinner has been misled. The sinner has been deceived, abused, taken advantage of. And if anyone deserves our mercy and grace and love, it is the sinner. So we are to come alongside them. We're to share the good news with them. And we're to withhold judgment. Hate the sin, love the sinner, because Jesus does. 
But that's not the only reason. Because we are sinners too. We have been shown mercy too. Hate the sin, love the sinner. These words can transform a family and certainly a church. Would you pray with me, please? Lord, thank you for your great love. Thank you that you love us so we can love others. That you save us so we can bring others to you for salvation. Guide us in our families and in our church. Help us to see people the way you see them, as loved children of God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.